Well, good morning. All right. I just uh, reiterate uh, all that Connor said. Just a huge thanks to the uh, student uh, praise team who's upstairs now with the others. And for those of you that have helped out, and thank you for your prayers and support. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church that... Uh, is pouring into and investing with the next generation to come. Amen. They are not the future of the church. They are part of our church, and we're blessed to have them. Let me share just a couple things real quick. Today is a, a deadline for, for two things. First of all, for our marriage retreat that's this weekend. If you've not yet registered, it's not too late, but it will be tomorrow. All right, so do that today. Uh, what a great opportunity. I mean, if, if you just hadn't thought about what that uh, Valentine's gift could be this year, can't think of a better one, right? Uh, but you can still do that today. Uh, there are tickets available in the lobby, or you can uh, sign up online uh, on the website or the easiest way through the church app. Also, today is the deadline for our senior adult Valentine banquet as well. And you can get those tickets in the lobby as you leave this morning uh, or through the church app online also. But I appreciate that. Well, let's jump in this morning in the time that we have. And while we're together walking through the book of Genesis, it's entitled In the Beginning, as you saw just a moment. Well, it's on the screen right now, right? Uh, last week then, we were in chapter 4 primarily uh, looking at that and, of course, the great story of Cain and Abel. In the context of that, we uh, dove in even to looking at what the Bible says about incest and polygamy and all these hot topics. But Beyond that, what the, 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 the meaning of the message, where we, where we landed the plane, if you will, where we closed out our time, was looking at worship, our worship that is pleasing to God. Then in chapter 5, it kind of listed out nine of the great patriarchs, and it shared that their lifespans on average was 912 years living 912 years on average, of course, excluding Enoch, who was taken directly up to God. But one of the great reasons for that is, and we saw in Genesis in the, in the early chapters, that uh, when God created the earth, one, he created it good, and secondly, there was a vast water canopy that was above the earth, far more than what we have today. And we're going to look even further at that in the next couple of weeks. But what that did was it really created this greenhouse effect, if you will, or this, this perfect climate, uh, not only for man, but for all vegetation, as well as the animals also. Well, today then, we're going to jump into chapters 6 and 7, and this morning is going to be part one of a two-part uh, sermon series within our sermon series, if you will. And uh, just like last week, I read a significant amount of scripture, and I'm going to do so today as well, because it is sharing this, this one narrative, and I think to, to parse that out would actually take away from, from this story, and so we're going to look at that today. So if you would, open your Bibles or open the church app. Uh, the text is there also, uh, or if you have our scripture notebook that we passed out the first few weeks of the year. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 1. Moses writes this, When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever, because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward. When the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind, who bore children to them, they were the powerful men of old, the famous men. When the Lord saw that, 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 saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. 
Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created, off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Now let me pause there in our reading this morning, and we're going to continue on in just a moment. But uh, we find ourselves in that place of Scripture where it discusses the Nephilim. Right now, if you are a new believer, and or maybe uh, you, first time you've read through the Bible, or, or first time you've read Genesis, following our reading plan, you get to that and you think, "What in the world is that all about?" Right? But then there are others here uh, who have been more of a student of the Word for for a longer period of time, and you have been waiting for today ever since a year ago when I announced I'm going to preach through the book of Genesis, right? And then you're like, is he going to talk about Nephilim? I bet he's scared. I bet he's going to avoid it, right? We're not, right? We're going to jump in this morning. But what you need to understand is when it it comes to this study and and specifically uh, the Nephilim, there's no shortage at all of viewpoints on this. Man, there, there are books, there are studies, the internet is, I mean, it's out there, right? You can find all kinds of material uh, that, that, that deal with this, but uh, different philosophies, ideologies, I wouldn't say theologies. But what I have found is there really are three primary interpretations to Nephilim. Three, now, now you can kind of spread that out, but, but three basic camps that people fall into. And let me say this too, as as I've often repeated, and certainly in our study here in Genesis, this issue, this topic of Nephilim is an open-handed, right? Open-handed issue, not a gospel close-handed issue, right? Meaning this, there will be differences of opinions, and that's okay. The person next to you may feel different than you do. You may feel different than I do about this text, right? Um, But that is an open-handed issue. That's okay. It is not a gospel issue, a closed-handed issue that we as a church will die for. Now, let me also say this. My interpretation has changed over the years. Where I was 20 years ago is is certainly not where I am today. And often with open-handed issues like that, you'll find that the longer that you're a student of God's Word, the the, the more you engross yourself in that, you you will have those times where you grow in your faith and maybe have different beliefs than you did early on as a new believer. So with that said, then, let's let's look at what I believe are the three primary interpretations of Nephilim. First, uh, is the belief that, uh, just as, as the word says here, angels actually had intercourse with women, and from that created then on the earth a new race, right? There are those that believe that. Now, let me say this in regards to that one. That's just not possible, all right? There's one race, the human race. We looked at that early on in Genesis. God created them, male and female He created them. That is mankind. There is only one race, the the human race. Now, the sons of God that you see is used exclusively in the Old Testament to refer to angels, without a doubt, right? That that, that is true. However, what we also know about angels is that they don't procreate. Angels don't make babies, right? They they, they do not procreate. In fact, there was a time uh, when the Sadducees, remember that one of the other religious uh, groups was trying to trap Jesus, right? And so they they were all the time trying to trap him on different things. They said, okay, Jesus, how about this? They didn't believe in the resurrection anyway. And they, they said, what about a woman? She's been married a whole bunch of times. When she gets to heaven in the resurrection, who will her husband be? Jesus responded in this way in Mark chapter 12, verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, talking about the resurrection of souls, 
They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels which are in heaven. Jesus says plainly here, there is no conjugal union or reproduction of the angels just like there won't be with us. Now, I'm going to get into that in further detail in, in August when we do our, our, our heaven series. Right? But he says point blank, hey, we, when we go to heaven, will be like the angels. And part of that means you won't have wives and husbands or, or marry in heaven, nor will you continue to have children in heaven. Instead, you'll be like the angels. Now, the other side of that, practically speaking, if, if um, these angels could, could continue to do that, if they could continue to have children with women, they would still be doing that today. Certainly that would be part of Satan's great plan, right? To, to continue, he fell and brought with him a third of the heavenly host when he came. They would be far greater than that today if they could do so. But the fact is they can't. Well, the, the, the second interpretation, I would say for observation, is that when you see the sons of God, and then later it's even uh, in the CSB refers to them as famous men, often that's referred to as men of renown. And when it talks about the, the men of renown throughout specifically the, the Old Testament, it's one, really you can look at this one in three different ways. Either those that believe in the men of the renown being the, the Sethites, right, being from the, the lineage of Seth. I remember Cain and Abel's story. Cain killed Abel uh, after Abel's death. Uh, Seth was born to Adam and Eve. And it was from Seth's lineage that came Noah and eventually, of course, even Jesus Christ, right, in that same lineage. And so there are those that kind of tie to that, that the, the, the men of renown, these famous men, are, are just referring to the, to the lineage uh, of, the, of Seth, the Sethites. Others will kind of take that into a priestly uh, king, or kinghood, uh, rather, uh, into it's just a royal lineage, a royal line going from, from David and then all the way, of course, to Jesus. But then there are those within that sons of God or, or famous men who believe really it's just referring to giants, right? Uh, men who are on the earth that, that, that had this uh, DNA strand or this mutated gene, if you will, that caused them to be enormous, right? They, they, they were just big jokers on the earth, right? And, and that continued even after the flood through Noah's daughter-in-law and her bloodline, the uh, daughter, excuse me, the wife of Ham. Right? And so, so people believe that it continued to be on the earth even after the flood. Well, now let's look at that because the word Nephilim, if you look at it in, in the Bible, it's actually only found three times in Scripture. All this debate, all this hoopla for a word that's found three times. The first is here in Genesis 6-3. And then twice in Numbers chapter 13 in verse 33, which of course was after the flood. Right? It was that time, you remember when, when Moses, the, the, the great exodus, and, and God had told them, hey, I've got this land, the land of Canaan for you, and man, it is flowing with milk and honey. It, it is just awesome. You're going to love it. Go get it, boys. And what did they do, though? They, instead, they decided, okay, we're going to send spies in that land. So Moses selects a one man from every tribe, all 12 tribes, and sends these 12 spies to, to look over the land to see what it's like and to see if, if they can go take it. And do you remember what happened? The spies go and do just what Moses had directed them to do. But when they get back, 11 of them came back and they said this, man, the men of Canaan, they're huge. They're the Nephilim. You remember that? Right? They're just enormous. And they go on, they say, and compared to them, we're like grasshoppers. We can't possibly do it. There's only Caleb that came back and said, hey, we got this. God said it's ours. We can do that. We're not going to look at that today, but... 
But they said that those men are giants and we're like grasshoppers. They are the Nephilim. Now, the reason I bring your attention to that is this. At that point, I really believe Nephilim was being used more as a word of description than it was some kind of lineage or race of mankind, right? Just like later they even said they referred to themselves with that simile. Remember, we are like grasshoppers, right? If you use that word like, you're comparing yourself similar to, right? It's that simile. They said they weren't actually grasshoppers, but compared to those men, they felt like that, right? So I, I believe really it, it was used more uh, of a description for that. Furthermore, we see other very large men in the Old Testament. My goodness, uh, uh, King Og of Bashan, uh, the great Philistine warrior Goliath, right? They were the largest men recorded in Scripture that we're given information about. And yet, at no point are they referred to as Nephilim. Though they were certainly men of renown in that regard, they were very large men. So the, the first two primary interpretations. Then there's the third. The third is that the, the sons of God are actually fallen angels who demonically possessed men and then had relations with women, right? Now, you need to know this is where I land today. And I, the reason I land here is because I believe it has the most biblical support uh, of any other interpretation. And remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. So when we get to things in the, in, in the Bible, we just don't understand them. I'm saying, man, I just don't get that. Instead of just coming to place, well, then here's what I feel. Here's what I believe or I think. No, we turn and we say, well, what does the Bible say throughout the rest of the canon, throughout the rest of Scripture? Uh, what does Scripture say about this passage? Just like in a moment, we're going to get to the flood. And we don't say, well, that's, I just, I can't see that. I, I can't buy that. Or do we go to the New Testament where Jesus even references the flood to say, no, if Jesus believed it, then I'm going to choose to believe it too, right? Scripture interprets Scripture. I believe it's here then. You may recall a couple months ago when we were in Jude, Jude verse 6, where it referenced the angels who did not keep their own position but had abandoned their proper dwelling and had done punishable acts. I believe that it's referring to this. I believe you also see that in 2 Peter chapter 2 where it details this as well. But let's look at that verse. Verse 4, it says, The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind, who then bore children to them. Now, if you look at that word, Nephilim, right, the root word for Nephilim, Nephil, is the same. Remember, you got a, a root word and you got a prefix or suffix that, that, that changes the meaning of that word or alters it or, or fleshes that out more. But the root word is Nephil. And it's the same word that's also used for fall, to fall, or to be fallen. In fact, in chapter 2, we were just a few weeks ago, when God uh, caused Adam, you remember, to, to fall into a deep sleep, and he took the, the rib to create woman, to create Eve, that same word, that same word, that same root word, nephil, was used there when he caused Adam to, to fall into a sleep. It's also the same root word, nephil, which means to fall. Uh, when, when Cain, do you remember after he had murdered his brother and God encountered him and it said what? That he looked despondent. Do you remember that? The word despondent simply means to, to fall or collapse. And it's the exact same root word for despondent. Just like today, you know, you, you may encounter someone and just say, man, you just look down. Right? You look down in the dumps, we're going to say here in the south, right? So just like we would say you look down, your countenance looks down or fallen, it's that same word for Nephil. And so as I mentioned in the, in, in the Old Testament, when we see sons of God, 
sons of God, it always refers to angels. Well, here then we see that the nephil with the lim, which pluralizes it and makes it become a noun. So it is the, the angels of God who were fallen. Now, if you look at the book of Job, Job uh, is likely the oldest book of the entire Bible, right? Uh, we don't know exactly when it was written, but likely it even precedes Genesis. Certainly it was written in that same patriarchal period uh, as Genesis. And so the language structure would be very similar. And if you look in Job chapter 1 and verse 6 and also in chapter 2 and verse 1, Job talks about sons of God. And when he's referring to the fallen angels along with Satan, if you remember, they were roaming the earth looking for temptees. Do you remember the story? And it was God who said, well, have you considered my servant Job? But it's that, those same words referring to the angels when it talks about these sons of God. So I believe these to be fallen angels who then demonically possessed men. So just as Satan entered the serpent, you remember, to, to tempt Eve, then I believe we have that played out here where these demons enter man in order to marry and have children with the daughters of man, with the women of earth. And the reason for doing that, just like Eve, remember Eve and Adam both, right, they wanted to have something that God had forbidden them to have. They wanted to eat from that tree that he said, just don't eat from that one. Well, I believe we see the angels doing that same thing here. They wanted to, to do or to have something that God said was forbidden for them. And that was to, to, have, to, to have intercourse and, and, and to create children as well. So they enter these men so that they can do just that. Now, if you look at verse 2, excuse me, verse 2 there, notice it doesn't say that they rape the women or pillage or anything like that, but literally married them. I believe these demons possessed these men. They took them as their wives, which means that the wife likely was seeking that out also. So they actually were married to them and then raised children. These, these wicked men and wicked women raised children. And so you have these wicked families on the earth, right? And when you, we still see that throughout the New Testament, you still see where men are possessed by demons, right? Uh, do, do you remember uh, when Jesus was on the scene, he had crossed the lake, and, and they came to that one man who was demon-possessed? And, and when he encountered Jesus, do you remember Jesus says, who are you? Talking about the demon that was inside the man. He said, we are legion, for we are many, right? Many demons had possessed that man, had taken over him, taken control of him. It was interesting, though, when they saw Jesus, they, they pled for their lives, really, and said, don't throw us into the abyss, so he threw them into the swine or the pigs. What about in the book of Acts? You remember one of my favorite stories, the seven sons of Sceva? You remember that one? Uh, these itinerant Jewish exorcists were going around pretending like they had some kind of power. They really didn't. And, and they came across this one person because Jesus' followers, his disciples, were doing all kinds of miracles. Well, they came across this person who was demon-possessed. And they, it was so bad, they cried out, I, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. You remember that? And Jemon says, uh, I tell you what, boys, Jesus I know. Paul I've heard about, but who are you? You remember that? And it says the demon went on to beat the pants off the men. Literally beat the clothes off of them, right? So we see that. We see where uh, demons possess people even throughout the New Testament. And so we see wicked men and wicked women who I believe not only allowed this to happen, I believe they were such a, the world had become so wicked, they had sought it out. They had sought out to, to, to be one with these demons. 
which is an important message, and I'll get into it more in our next service, but don't play with that stuff. You know, we have students and these younger generations that will talk about Wicca and witchcraft and Ouija boards and satanic stuff. Hey, listen, don't go there. It's nothing to play with. It's not a joke. But notice uh, verse 3 there, chapter 6. The Lord said, my spirit will not remain with who? With mankind forever. Because they, mankind is corrupt. Their days, mankind's days, will be 120 years. Now, here's what I want us to see. Notice the point. These two verses that have stirred up so much controversy. They get people so worked up and, you know, so in a frenzy. But the point of this, the point of this passage is really about the corruption of man. Isn't it? That's what he's addressing, how corrupt man was. And because of man's choices and mankind's decision that God was going to do this. And in verses 6 through 8, then, we see the regret of God, which really is just a picture of the heart of God and how much he hates sin. Right? So we know it wasn't that he hated man that much because he, what, he allowed Noah and mankind the opportunity to still find favor. To be saved. So as we look at that, we get so wrapped up, what's the Nephilim? And I believe this and you believe that. The point of it is not who the Nephilim were, but the wickedness of man. And the choices that wicked man made and the results or the consequences from God for that. Now, with that said, then let, let's continue on. Picking up in, in verse 9. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Man, wouldn't you love that to be said? Wouldn't that be great on your tombstone? I mean, just a man or a woman who walked with God. Verse 10, And Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I am bringing a flood. Floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under the heaven with breath in, with the breath of life in it. Everything on the earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything God had commanded him. Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. 
You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep offspring alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will make it rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And everything I have made I will wipe off the face of the earth. And Noah did everything the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came and water covered the earth. Now, in our time remaining, we're going to just kind of test the waters here a little bit, just, 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 just get our feet a little bit wet, and we're going to dive further into this text next week. You see what I did there about the water and the diet? Come on, come on. Um, that, that's what we're going to do, right? We, we have a little bit of time here. We're just going get, to get into it a little bit, and then we're going to flesh it out even further next week. But here's what I want to say. I know there are people here today that say, okay, preacher, you really believe that? I mean, do you really believe that the way? I do. I do. Let's look at that. The, the earth, the, the, the ark that was built here, it said that it was the equivalent of 522 standard-sized railroad stock cars today, like what they have the, the cattle and everything on. 520 of those. If you were to, to line 522 of those railroad cars up, it would stretch for six miles. Meaning the beginning of that cart would be here where I'm standing, and the last cart would be on, on the other side of Nissan in Smyrna. That's how far that would stretch. That's, that's how much room was on this ark. Plenty of room. Now, let, let, let's compare it to the room you're sitting in right now. Look around a little bit. It's a pretty big room, isn't it? Compared to this room, now the ark was a few feet deeper than this auditorium is, right? It was twice as high going up to the, to the bottom uh, of those joists that you see there. It was twice that height and four times, this is a wide room, right? Four times wider than this room. Now, I want you to imagine the scope, the size of that, that ark. Four of our auditoriums a little bit wider side by side by side by side then four more of these auditoriums a little bit wider all stacked on top that that's the size of the ark as some of you have visited the uh the ark exhibit as in williamstown kentucky if you've not been i would encourage you to go especially through this study uh, as well and you say okay well let's say it is big enough all right let's say uh, i'm with you preacher okay it's big enough to hold i'll give you that one but how could, how could Noah possibly get all those animals? I mean, did he go on some kind of worldwide safari for 100 years? How could he possibly get them there? I mean, did, did, did he trap them? Did, how, how did that happen? Now, there's a couple of things. First of all, I want you to see this, verse 20 there in chapter 6. The animals came to him. God said, I'm gonna, you don't have to go get the animals. I, I'm going to send the animals to you. Now, one day, I, so, so help me, I'm going to do a message just on the perseverance of the snail right? The snail made it on the ark. You ever think about that? Man, that, that's some perseverance, ain't it? I, I think there's a message to be had there, but today's not the day. Um, and still today, right, we see animals migrate around the world, right? We, we still see that today, cover great distances as they did for the ark. He said, well, well, how could they possibly care for all those animals? I mean, you talk, I mean, eight people on an ark caring for all those animals, but we also see today, we see mammals hibernate, do we not, for extended times? 
We see reptiles go dormant for extended periods of time as well. And secondly, keep this in mind, the ark only held the land animals, right? Mammals, birds, and reptiles, that was it. Now, let me point this out too, because I know people get confused on this. Chapter 7 and verse 2 there begins to talk about not just pairs of everything, male and female, but then seven pairs. Well, what's that all about? I thought they came two by two and all that fun stuff. Well, that was for what would eventually be sacrifices, we'll see in chapter 8 and verse 20, and then eventually food as well to sustain the people that you'll see in chapter 9 and verse 3. Now, verse 21 here tells us that they were obviously still vegetarians, but he said, go and gather those things to feed both you and the animals. But make no mistake, though we can defend it, we, we can talk about size and all these things, we can talk about hibernation and migration, make no mistake, this story is true. It's completely plausible, even amongst the highest education today. But let me tell you this. God didn't need a massive ark. He didn't need it at all. He chose it. He chose for the ark to be built. The, the God that created our world in six days, my goodness, he could have fed all those animals in a thimble if he wanted to. Amen? He didn't need the ark. He, he, he didn't need that. He could have simply started over. I mean, did it in six days once. Why not do it again, right? Which is one of the reasons that I don't uh, hold to, uh, as some do, that, that gap theory, just talking about how there's uh, thousands or millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2 in, in Genesis chapter 1, that he kind of did it and then started over again. I don't believe that because we don't see that here. It's okay if you do believe that, but that, that's why one of the reasons that, that I don't uh, hold to that belief or that theory. He could have started over, but he didn't. He could have created the ark in an instant. God could have snapped his little finger and the ark is there. Even bigger than this one. But he didn't do that either. Friends, he chose the ark for us. That's why the ark we're going to look at next week is a picture of the cross. A picture of, of Christ. And I think we see in today's text in the ark, we see the patience of God. We see God's grace, and we see God's mercy. In essence, the ark shows us the love that God has for us. Let's look real quick. First of all, the, the patience of God. In chapter 6 and verse 3 there, it says, Their days will be 120 years. Now, that doesn't mean that now man is no longer going to have long lifespans. It's not a 120-year lifespan was going to be placed on man. Though, after the flood, we do see that wane. But even his own son, uh, Shem, would live 600 years. That's not what he's referred to. The 120 years was the 120 years from the moment that God told Noah, listen, I want you to build an ark, to the moment that rain came. For 120 years, hear this, people could have repented. 120 years. Noah, Noah is building an ark, a boat, on a place, that, a world that had never seen rain before. Miles, 100 miles from the nearest ocean. You could imagine for 120 years as he and eventually his sons are, are building this ark that people would have come by. Scoffers would have been there. Noah certainly was preaching the whole time he was building. Hey, God is sending the rain. He's sending his judgment. And you need to repent. You need to enter into the ark with us. For 120 years, man could have turned their ways. Man, we see the patience of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was God, I'd have looked down and said, 
wipe it clean, right? I'll send some rain. I'll take Noah, pluck him out, but the rest of y'all are gone. 120 years, we, we see the patient love of God. And secondly, we see the grace of God. Look, at, look in verse uh, 8 of chapter 6. It says, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. That word favor right there, you can underline that. It's the same word that's translated grace. Noah found God's favor. Noah found grace. Noah was, ex was extended grace by God. Remember, we, we say all the time, grace is simply getting what you don't deserve and you cannot earn. That's what grace is. Getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you absolutely can't earn for yourself. That's grace. We are saved, what, church? By grace. Through faith. We can't save ourselves. It, it, it's a gift that, that we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But by faith, God gives us salvation. That is grace. In the midst of this wickedness of man, in the midst of even God's regret for creating man because of the sin, there was grace. Can I tell you something? In the midst of your sin, in the midst of wherever you are today, whatever your circumstance is, in the midst of whatever regret you have in life, there's grace. God is patient, and God extends His grace. But thirdly, we see, I believe, the love of God through the mercy of God. Now, mercy is simply getting, not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Now, we certainly see that here. I look in verses 17 and 18. Everything on earth will perish, and they deserved it. Man was wicked. He said everything on earth was wicked. Everything on earth will perish, but all the mercy of God. You don't deserve it, but. You don't deserve that promotion, but. You don't deserve that salvation, but, but the mercy of God. You deserve to be in hell for the rest of your life. But the mercy of God. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your, your son's wives. Now, verse 5 told us there, the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread. Listen how bad that every inclination of the human mind was on nothing but evil all the time. But, but God said, I'm still going to establish my covenant with you. And look at that, not only you, but Noah, because of your faithfulness, your wife, your three sons, and their wives also. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said this. He said, come to me. Do you, do you know in, in, in chapter 7 and verse 1 there? Uh, look, look back there real quick. Chapter 7, verse 1. It says, then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. Can I tell you something? CSB missed it. The, the word really there is come into the ark. For my KJV folks, KJV nailed it. That's exactly He said, I want you to, to come into the ark. Different than, than when he instructed them in verse 18. He said, I want you to come. It was an invitation, and it was a declaration that God was there. God would be with him. He said, now the ark is finished. Come in with me, and I'll keep you safe. And another little note, too, that it talks about the pitch that was used in chapter 6 and verse 14. 
the pitch is just that, that, that tar, that, that resin they've created. He said, I want you to rub the, the whole outside of the boat and the inside too. It'll keep you safe. It's the same thing that was used when Moses, you remember when all the Hebrew boys were ordered to be killed. And Moses' mother took him and made the little basket and covered it in pitch before she set it on to the, to, to the river. And, and Moses found his salvation. It's that picture that God said, listen, I've got you protected. I'm going to now just come in to where I am. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Friends, God invited Noah and his wife, the three sons and their wives to come into his refuge, to come into the ark for safety. Now, they still had to accept the invitation. They could have been like the countless other people who were roaming the earth in that day and not entered the ark. They had to choose to come in. Jesus said, I came so that all would have the invitation to be saved, to find rest, rest from searching, rest from running, rest from hiding, rest from worry. Jesus said, you don't have to do anymore. I've done it. And his invitation was now, Come and receive that rest. Because that's the same invitation we have today. But just like Noah and his sons, you still have to choose to enter in. Jesus calls out. He says, come. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. Just come. You have to make the choice to enter. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you that in Noah's day, the, the world was wicked. But your grace, your mercy, your patience, your, your love still shone through for all of man. God, we live in a wicked generation, a perverse generation today. And we don't know why you haven't returned yet, but we thank you for your patience. Huh. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy for us today. God, if there's anyone here today who doesn't, who hasn't entered into that rest, who hasn't received Jesus as Savior, I pray today would be the day that they cry out, God, save me. And for those who do, that you would come at the close of our service. Let me explain to you what that means and how you can walk out your faith now. And for others of us here today, may we be reminded, we live in a 120-year of patience as well. And may we be those who proclaim your word, who go to share and show your good news with everyone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you.